The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. And we also work with children and young people who we have identified to be at very high risk of living on the streets. What we try to do is all about rescue, getting them off the streets. The next objective is to keep them alive as long as possible. He left his home in England to reach out and provide help and hope to children living on the streets in Guatemala. Today on First Person, you meet Duncan Dyson of Street Kids Direct. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Welcome to First Person. The interview you're about to hear, as well as a whole audio library of interviews, is made possible through the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC celebrates people everywhere who are the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Every day, nearly 900 broadcasters in almost 50 countries open microphones to tell listeners of God's love and offer of salvation. And as a result, millions in hard-to-reach places have their lives changed through the gospel message. Learn more at febc.org. A friend introduced me to Duncan Dyson when he came to visit Chicago. I was immediately drawn to this man who was dedicating his life to rescuing street children in Guatemala, and I want you to hear his story. As you can tell from his accent, Duncan is from the UK, but his heart is in an entirely different place. Guatemala is a very interesting country. Um, it uh, was the, originally the capital of Central America, and I was drawn there because of a television program I watched in the United Kingdom back in 1991. Television program was called "They Shoot Children, Don't They?" Oh, it's kind and of an as ominous a, title. It well, uh, it captured my attention. The red text came up on the screen. And I'd never heard about the situation of children living on the streets before. But not only were they living on the streets of this Central American country, Mm. but they were being hunted down by police, tortured and killed just because they were seen to be a nuisance. Mm. Up until this time, you didn't have any awareness of this as a... As an issue, these street kids had no idea that street children existed. The millions of street children, there were over, according to UNICEF, then there was over 100 million children living on the streets of cities all over um, the, the world. And 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 to, to hear the statistics of 5,000 street children living in this very small Central American country, Guatemala, was quite shocking. But then harrowing to watch this documentary unfold and to see the children and how they were living and how they were being uh, literally just hunted down um, just like vermin. Yeah, but you watch this television program. How do you know what to do next? I mean, you had a heart to do something. What, What did you do? Well, I didn't really know what to do next because I was, I was, I was in shock, really. Um, but then I started to investigate um, the, the organization that I'd seen on the television at the time. And also, I brought a couple of books about street children. I started reading, and I was really challenged by um, the, the plight of the children, but also to see how this organization was trying to help them. Um, in, in, in all sorts of ways, providing them homes, uh, offering them protection, uh, offering them services on the streets to try and keep them alive and keep them safe. Mm-hmm. And you feel that God was the one who was prompting your heart to follow this thread? 
Well, I knew very clearly at the time that something was happening within me. Uh, it wasn't till I went back um, and just spent some time praying about this and then uh, went to meet my minister. Um, and I had a very good relationship with him. I'd, at that time, I'd, I'd been working with him for four years as his youth pastor. Mm. We'd got on really well, almost like really good friends. He still comes to visit to me now. And um, he he was chatting with me and I said to him, Look, I've got to tell you something that's really close on my heart. I saw this program and I told him about the program and uh, he said, I saw that program as well, isn't it? Wasn't it horrific? And I said, well, I really feel, and this was the hard bit, I really feel a tug to go and to get involved. And uh, he was just silent. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to be really (laughs) angry with me. And he said, said, isn't that amazing? He said, because uh, after I watched that program, God just said to me, uh, as I was praying with my wife that night, he said, God's told me that Duncan's going to come to you. No way. And he is going really? to be called to this ministry. And so you are called to serve him. And uh, he told me this, and I almost broke down in tears. And so he said, I, what I want you to do is go back home and uh, find out how much a flight is to Central America. Uh, we'd love to send you there as a church just to see, just for a couple of weeks, to see the organization, to see what's happening. And that just started a whole chain of quite miraculous events hmm. that led to the place where I am now, living in Guatemala. And you didn't have all the support in the world behind you. You just went, I think you told me, yourself in a backpack, went to Guatemala City. I had nothing. I had, we had no money at all. And uh, so moving there, and, and make, I'd made contact with this organization, Casa Alianza. They'd invited me for this two-week tour. I went with a friend of mine from church. who'd also seen the program. And uh, when I went round to him, um, he, I was saying to him, this is what I'd like to do. I'd love to go out to Guatemala. And uh, he said that he was praying for me that night of that television program. And he said, as I was praying for you, God said, get yourself ready to support Duncan. <laughs> that is powerful. And so he said, what I want to try to do is if, you, if you're going to go out to Central America and live there, I want to be the one that raises the money for you. <laughs> and so he committed himself to raise the money. The church got behind me. And it was, it was, it was incredible. Um, and so when I got there, after all these, I mean, th- these are just a couple of miraculous things, but so many things happen. I thought incredible things are going to be happening now, mm. you know, yeah. um, because God has really called me. Okay. That was how many years ago? Uh, that was 27 years 27 ago. 27 years ago. So after all these years, and we'll talk about all that's gone on in those intervening years, but after all these years to look back on that, that is a clear, compelling call from God in your life. I knew it was a very clear call. What I didn't realize is the pain that was going to go along with it. Ah, okay. So when you go to Guatemala City, what what did you find? So I got to Guatemala City and I started working with this organization. Um, They were not the the people um, who were directing the organization were very keen, but the people on the streets were not keen for me to work with them at all. Mm. Um, They made it very clear right from the beginning they did not want me to be involved in the organization. They refused me entry to the premises to begin with. Um, and then eventually when they spoke to the directors and they said, no, this, this is a volunteer. We want you to work with him. And they took me on the streets and they put me through almost like an initiation process. I didn't realize that some of the things that were happening to me, like the machete that one of the teenagers put on my throat yeah. and uh, pressed it in hard. And he said, if you ever come back, Again, I will kill you. Mm. And I didn't realize it was one of the workers that was behind that. 
um, that didn't come from him, but it came from one of the one of the workers that I was uh, supposed to work with. So there were difficult times. I was expecting amazing things to happen, yeah. but amazing things didn't happen. Well, what kept you there? They, what kept you from going back home and say, okay, that's it? Well, um, it was difficult. The first year was the, the hardest year of my life, I think, because we were burying so many children. We were seeing so – I was seeing so much – um, uh, hurt and pain and torture uh, and and death. You having to deal with these things, violence on a daily basis, threats against your own life. And I'm thinking, why am I here? What what is it that I'm doing here? And I just had to because the call was so clear and it was so strong. That's what held me there. Mm. Um, that because God has called you to do something, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And sometimes I th- I know I had this. Um, 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 image that it would be really easy but it wasn't it was really difficult um but i stuck at it and because I, I knew that that god had called me to a country and when i prayed about it one day uh, these words just came into my head whether they were from god or not i really believe they were but it was that god was going to use guatemala as a, as as an example as a blessing to the nations mm. of what he could do so here was a country 36 years of civil war uh, this was a country that was in a, a massive amounts of poverty uh, with all the things that were happening on the streets. And who would have thought that God could take that country, take that nation and change it around to be the blessing that it is now to so many nations around the world? What are the problems that you encounter on the street with kids? So what we were finding is uh, that the, the most distressing was seeing children dying on the streets. Um, but also seeing children y- as young as five being enticed into street gangs of of, ch- of, of, of other children and being shown how to abuse drugs, how to uh, solvents, how to get involved in prostitution. The gang becomes to, their family? The gang becomes their family. And very quickly they're initiated into that family and all the things that go along with being part of that gang. Mm. So... What are some of the first steps you made to make a difference? I think the first things that you do is start to build relationships. Uh, as, as a youth pastor and the way that God changed my life around uh, quite dramatically at the age of 21, I knew that relationships were important. That was the key for me in my becoming a Christian um, and it was the key to the youth work that I did, which was a quite a different type of youth work, uh, but because it was all relational youth work. So it was about building, trusting relationships. And I knew that if I couldn't offer them the, the, the level of language, if I couldn't offer them all sorts of services that maybe other organizations could offer them, what I could offer them was a friendship. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what... Uh, has been the basis of the ministry of, of things has, has grown along the way. By the way, did you know Spanish when you moved there? I had no idea of Spanish. I, <laughs> really? I didn't know English much either at that point. So, <laughs> so how did you, you you learn the language as you went along? Huh? And I learned, yeah, literally learned the language as I went along. Um, and I, I did go to a few weeks of language training, but the basic language that I was taught, um, which is rather what we would call posh, nice you know, nice, nice, nice English, but nice Spanish. Formal, yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, you end up on the streets where the the, the way they use Spanish is very different, and mm-hmm. the, particularly the kids that live on the street um, use their own form of that Spanish language. So I had to learn that. And one of the boys, uh, Michael, who's twelve, he was very good at teaching me um, the Spanish language. And uh, I remember some of the phrases he taught me sounded amazing. 
Um, and I remember going over and over and over with these phrases, and I, I tried to use them on the Sunday in church, and the pastor came in over and he said, I can't believe you're swearing. Oh, no. <laughs> so I didn't know I was swearing as well. Uh, Be careful what you learn from street kids. Exactly, huh? <laughs> yeah. We'll continue learning about this ministry to the street children in Guatemala coming up as we talk with Duncan Dyson on First Person. I decided to escape North Korea after listening to FEBC's broadcast. I was able to keep my faith firm by listening to your programs. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company, until all have heard. My guest is Duncan Dyson, the founder of Street Kids Direct, having a direct impact on the street kids living in Guatemala. It's a charity based in the UK with an American partner. You can read more about it at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Duncan, as I hear your story, I think about D.L. Moody and his early life in Chicago when he would gather together street kids and form a Sunday school, take them to church. Tell me more about what you're doing in Guatemala. Well, Working with children on the streets means that you have to become very vulnerable in their lives um, and you're open. They open themselves up after a while to their own vulnerabilities as well. And you realize how desperate they are for their own um, acceptance um, and they would do anything to be accepted uh, and, and be loved. And so if they think that you want them to go to church or if you want them to do this in order to to accept them and love them they will adapt along there and i've tried as as the years have gone along to show them that i'm not looking to get anything from them i'm not asking them to change in any way what i want to try to do is demonstrate to them the quality of love that our father demonstrates to us many times they know the gospel message they haven't seen someone live the cross in front of them that's that's the key, isn't it? That is, that is the key, exactly. And, it, and it's about giving them time. And I remember one boy uh, in my first couple of weeks of being there taught me this va- very valuable lesson. And we were playing a game of football. And all I had was a very small backpack with a few pieces of uh, or bits and pieces of toys and games inside. Had a tiny little plastic football that cost me a few cents and uh, a little first aid kit. And I remember playing this game of football and uh, this this boy, he's about 12 years of age and he took a some sort of uh, shine to me and he came alongside me and, and everything was about showing me that he was there. And as the game, I'm not very good at playing football, the game <laughs> quite late at night uh, in, in, in the streets um, just carried on. And then at one point, I remember I'm, I'm holding out my hands uh, because I'm waiting for the ball to come down and he came along and grabbed hold of my hand. And I'm trying to play football whilst holding the hand of this 12-year-old boy. And it became a little bit awkward. Uh, and, I, and I felt a little bit awkward as well. But he wanted some sort of physical touch. He wanted to know that, he was that, hungry I, that. that yeah. I cared about him in yeah. some way. And then after a few minutes, I noticed under a street lamp, one of the older teenagers, about 13 or 14, was sitting under the street lamp. And he had his head in his hands. He looked like he, he was really upset. 
And I wondered what, why I hadn't noticed this before. So I went over to him and I just pushed his, his forehead back and he lifted up his head. And I looked at him and then I looked down and I could see his wrist, his left wrist. And he had a piece of glass and he'd cut his wrist oh, open. Oh. And he was bleeding. He wasn't bleeding really bad. He wasn't going to die of bleeding. But uh, he had obviously cut his wrist. Mm-hmm. And so... I started with, I took my backpack off and I started cleaning his wound and I started putting a, a, a gauze bandage on it and trying to make it clean. But as I'm trying to do this, this boy Henry was just pulling at my shirt and he was going, come on, Duncan, let's go play football. And I said, Henry, I can't, I've got to, he's going, come on, let's come on. And it just went on and on. And I must have said something that upset him because I just said to him, look, I've got to deal with this boy he's more important at the moment because of his wound and his blood and I was cleaning him so he went off in a huff and then when I finished cleaning this boy's wound I'm looking for Henry and I couldn't find him anywhere and I'm thinking oh now I've upset him anyway we carried on a few more minutes I, I then I was I was upset I didn't want to carry on playing football but as we finished Henry knew exactly where we were going to go out of this alleyway and as we went up to the top of the road and we turned left there under a lamppost as soon as he saw me he got a piece of glass and he started cutting his wrist oh as if to say Duncan is, I want your is, attention too if this is what it takes oh this is what I want wow. and I was shocked I was hurt I was angry with myself um, and I just thought I can't ever put myself in that I mean the children taught me so many lessons and they continue to do yeah. but I can't ever put myself in a situation where I would turn my time attention away from something when a child really does need mm. me they want something tangible you've got to demonstrate it they you know they want they want a Jesus with flesh they want some they want somebody physically to give them a hug they mm. want somebody to to physically be there yeah. to wipe their tears to to bandage their wounds um and you know as soon as you've got a first aid kit there'll be a line of little kids that come out mm. with the the tiniest of um uh, wounds on their knees or you know things that they they just I want a bandage so, but it's it's the tiniest wound ever there's nothing going to go wrong here <laughs> but they want it cleaned they want savalon putting on it they want they want a gauze thing they want they to want, be loved they just want the attention that's what it because you give them that personal attention yeah. and that's what they want well describe what you do today i mean you have all kinds of programs and facilities now that god has has supplied right it's been absolutely miraculous the way that God has provided uh, for the, the two buildings that we've got in Guatemala City. Um, and so we, we work out on the streets. We work with two populations. These are young people that are living on the streets. Literally living. Living they on the no streets. They have no home to go to. That's right. Uh, but these are, these are older teenagers now, not young children. We've been able over the last 25 years to get the numbers right down to almost zero of kids living on the streets. Mm. And we also work with children and young people who we have identified to be at very high risk of living on the streets. The children, that, that those young people that live on the streets, what we try to do is all about rescue, getting them off the streets. If we can't for whatever reason or they don't want to, the next objective is to keep them alive as long as possible. For those that are at risk of living on the streets, obviously our, our, our main thing there is getting them into school, full-time education and providing them the support they need to stay in school to make good, positive choices in their lives. And we call that mentoring. So we provide mentors for the children um, and we have a mentoring centre where the kids can come and get their homework done. Um, And once they're in education, my goodness, do they go on and achieve great things. 
Describe your love for these kids. How do you how do you tell it? I think I tell it as um, these are the kids that I would give up my life for. I've had to put my life on the line many times uh, for them. Um, but I, I always think back to the first child I met um, on the streets and spent individual time with. I met lots of kids, but this was my own time over an hour with a boy called Ruben, who was 13. He was a very small 13-year-old boy. He was very funny, but he really liked me. Sort of, He would cling hold of me and he would hold on to me uh, whenever I went to play with him. And But I only knew him for a couple of weeks uh, when I sat down with him one night and uh, we were just watching planes coming in uh, to Guatemala City and some couple of planes taking off, but mainly planes landing. And that just gave me an opportunity to talk to him about dreams for the future. I mean, I didn't realise that, that these kids had no dreams for the future. And he just said, he just looked at me like I was an idiot. And he said, Duncan, but there's no point in trying to help us. And I said, but why? He said, don't you see around you? Uh, he said, all, all these children, they'll all be dead, you know, within a few weeks, a few months and, and a couple of years. And I knew the life expectancy of a child on the streets was about four years um, but I wanted to help Ruben. I'd started to get to know him a little bit. And here I was having a, an hour-long conversation, just him and me under the stars um, and just looking at planes and talking about his life and the abuse of his life and the, the possibilities that there could be in the future. And I said, please, would you let me try to make contact with your mum uh, and to see if there's any chance of you going back, if we can get you into the refuge? And he just said, there's no point. And I said, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to try. And he just smiled and he went, okay, and walked off. Uh, the next, and within about three hours, he was dead. Oh. Um, oh. And I got the phone call late that night. Uh, we went and uh, um, w- within eight hours, I was carrying his body in a coffin oh. uh, and burying And I was the only one there. There was nobody, it was me mm. and this boy in a, in a, in a box and I buried him um, because he he and another boy called Daniel were lying together. They'd huddled up together in a shop doorway um, to try to stay warm together. And they were shot dead at point blank range by two police officers, two armed police officers um, who were in full uniform. No one did a thing. Um, and it was a crime that they got away with uh, because who is going to give witness to, to that happening? Mm. And I go back. And I think about those boys, particularly Ruben, who I've got this picture of with me and him. And I just think that that is the thing that changed my life uh, when I was started working with these kids. And I go back to that moment and thinking I've got to help every single one of those kids, no matter what I do, no matter how much it costs me. My love has got to be that sort of love that God demonstrated to me when I became a Christian. Well, there are so many more stories. I wish we had time for Duncan Dyson to tell us, but we'll have to stop there. Fortunately, you can go online to the website for Street Kids Direct to learn more or watch some of the videos on YouTube. We'll put links to these resources in our program notes at firstpersoninterview.com. Street Kids Direct is a charity based in England, but Americans are invited to help. Go to firstpersoninterview.com. Another ministry that has great stories to tell of God at work in this world is the Far East Broadcasting Company. It's no stretch to say that millions of people tune in each day to FEBC's programs, which are always heard in the local language. The gospel is proclaimed and God's word is taught by indigenous broadcasters who love to serve their listeners. 
please take a few moments online to visit febc.org and learn more by watching a few of the videos telling these stories. That's febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time right here for First Person. First Person.